Putting together a production at the Lyric Opera of Chicago is a big project with more than 300 people playing a role in some way. It turns out if you want to put out an opera, you're definitely going to need to clear your schedule. In 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 opera land, planning cycles tend to be very long, and it's normal for a new production to have a four or five year planning cycle. Keith Conrad, and this is Bringing Up the Lights, a podcast where I'll be giving you a look behind the curtain at the people involved in creating some of the biggest stage productions in the United States. This season, I'll be following along with the Lyric Opera of Chicago as they prepare for their production of Verity's opera, Macbeth, in September of 2021. The process of putting together a production like Macbeth starts with Lyric Opera of Chicago general director Anthony Freud. Anthony has had a passion for opera for almost his entire life. Well, I got bitten by the opera bug very young. I, I was, as you can tell, I'm, I'm from the UK. I was born in London. I, I grew up in London. Um, and um, my parents took me to my first opera, which was Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel, when I was really young. I was four or five. Um, fast forward a few years, and um, my parents had the opportunity through my father's firm to get um, some very nice tickets to the Royal Opera House Covent Garden and and being the sort of people they were, they didn't find a babysitter for me and, and go off together. One of them stayed home and the other took me. And, and so <laughs> I, I had um, from a very young age a very privileged opportunity to go from time to time to performances at Covent Garden of both opera and ballet. And I saw some extraordinary things at that time. Tito Gobbi as Scarpia in Tosca, one of the most legendary performances. Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev dan dancing Romeo and Juliet. And, and so growing up in, in London, and um, I, I was a teenager in the 70s, um, it, it was a fantastic time to develop an interest in theater, in classical music, in opera, in, in ballet. And um, my parents didn't particularly share what became a real passion. They had a passing interest in the arts. But very quickly for me, it, it really became a, 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 an overwhelming passion. And mm. opera emerged as something that, that I was completely obsessed with and fascinated by. And if you'd asked me when I was 14 or 15 what I wanted to do when I grew up, I honestly, I know this sounds hokey, but I would have said I want to run an opera company. Specifically, there was one transformative moment in his teen years that really cemented Antony's passion for the art form. Um, so by the time I was in my mid-teens, I was going to the opera incessantly. I was going to just about everything that was produced at, at Covent Garden. I was going multiple times to the same opera. Um, I was going to English National Opera. I mean, it was a phenomenal time to indulge and develop a passion for music, opera, theatre, dance. And um, you could go to extraordinary things for very little money. I mean, I don't come from a uh, a wealthy background, and I, I used to sit constantly in what are called the upper slips at Covent Garden, mm -hmm. um, which are 
right under the ceiling on the side. Um, I stood at the back of the National Theatre and the Old Vic to see some extraordinary things. Um, but I, I really um, was bitten hard by the opera bug. Um, I, I vividly remember a particular performance um, of Benjamin Britten's Peter Grimes. Um, it was in the mid-70s, I think it was 1975. Um, it was a new production at Covent Garden with John Vickers in the title role. And it, it completely blew me away. Um, and that summer, um, the full cast and the Covent Garden company gave a concert performance of Peter Grimes um, as part of the proms, um, the BBC proms in the Albert Hall. And I was a, a law student um, just starting at university and I thought, well, I need to see this. And what happens at the Albert Hall for the proms is that, that they clear away the arena where the, the main floor uh, and you stand. And the earlier you stand in line, the closer to the front you get. And because I was so blown away by Peter Grimes and by John Vickers' performance, I thought I'm going to stand in line all day and I'm going to run in as soon as the doors open and get myself to the rail right at the front. Mm -hmm. And I, by pure luck and a little bit of design, actually managed to get myself right in front of where John Vickers was standing and performing. And I suppose that was a real transformative moment for me because I realized that opera at its greatest had the ability to be life-changing. Uh, and I, I really developed a sense of the potential of the art form. Uh, and I thought, well, it, if this art form can change my life the way it has done, I want to try and make sure it changes as many other lives as possible. And it, it was really around that time that I thought, well, I wonder if I can earn my living by pursuing my passion. Once Antony decided to make opera his career, he made a few different stops along the way before he finally found himself with the Lyric Opera of Chicago. Fast forward decades, um, and, and this is going to be my 29th year as an opera company general director. My, my first position as a general director was at Welsh National Opera in the UK. And then when I moved to, to the US now, 15 and a half years ago, um, I, I was general director of Houston Grand Opera. And this will be my 11th season here, here at Lyric. So um, I, I'm very fortunate because I can honestly say I, I've been able to earn my living by pursuing my passion. And, and I realize how lucky I am. I, I realize how few people can actually, with their hands on heart, say that. Um, but my passion for opera has grown and grown and grown. Um, and my belief in wanting to persuade as many people as possible to experience that passion and hopefully to share the transformational power of live opera it is something that I'm more energized now um, than I ever have been. Antony talked about the amazing experiences he had with opera performances growing up in England, but how does the opera scene here in the United States compare? You know, as a, as a, um, a European moving to the US, I've always been very conscious, both in Houston and in Chicago, that opera has its roots in Europe 400 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the 
aspects of of leading opera companies in the U.S. is that I find it really fascinating and really energizing to work out how this ancient European art form can be relevant and life-changing in a very un-European, very 21st century city like Chicago. Um, and I find that incredibly energizing. And, and you know, we, we can never simply fossilize opera as an art form. And, and if you look at what we've been doing at Lyric, if you look, for example, at the plans that we've announced for our 2021-22 season, you'll see the extent to which um, we are dramatically diversifying the range of stories we're telling and dramatically diversifying the range of storytellers that we're engaging to tell those stories. And and I think that's incredibly important and exciting and something that ultimately we will continue to commit ourselves to in order to fulfill the potential of our art form. Lyric Opera has been shut down in terms of live performances with an audience since March of 2020, like just about all other performing arts. But Anthony has still managed to keep his people busy. I really think that we have learned so many exciting new things through virtual activity and, and through exploring virtual platforms. Um, and what interests me more than anything is creating art that can only exist virtually. When, when we started um, producing virtual activity, we were doing concerts that were very well filmed, very well recorded and available virtually, but they could have existed um, live in the Opera House. Mm -hmm. As the, the months passed, so we experimented with activity that, that increasingly took advantage of the opportunities of a virtual platform that don't exist, particularly in a large 3,200-seat opera house. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the, the Rhine Opera Center artists are a wonderful ensemble of, of um, emerging young professionals. We're working with Enrique Mazzola in a, a project called Sole e Amore, Son and Love. Um, it was a program that Enrique devised and worked with them and performed and, and hosted um, a program of songs by the great Italian opera composers. A and what we were really exploring in that um, uh, program was how when a performer is performing to a microphone and a camera 12 inches from their face, mm -hmm. what opportunities they have to communicate emotionally with a, a, a virtual audience that um, involves different techniques, different approaches, different ways of um, singing, different ways of communicating verbally from the skills that they learned in order to be able to communicate effectively on the stage of the opera house. And, and increasingly, uh, as we developed our virtual programming, w we focused on things that really took advantage of the opportunity of the virtual platform. And that, I must say, is creatively, I think, very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and um, after we returned to the Opera House with, with full-scale, world-class live performances, I, I really don't want us to lose 
the um, commitment to that um, range of, of producing art. And, and as I said earlier, the very fact that our virtual programs ha have reached cumulatively more than a quarter of a million people and 50% of them have been outside the US around the world, well, that speaks for itself in terms of our being able to use the virtual platform to reach a global audience. The team at Lyric Opera of Chicago has spent the last year or so laying the foundation for what should ultimately be a bright future. It's been an extraordinary year for our Rhine Opera Center artists mm -hmm. in, in that we have maintained coachings and, and voice lessons initially um, remotely, um, more recently um, within a strict health protocol live in large rehearsal rooms or on stage but but actually the training that they have experienced through the last season through through the the pandemic um has developed a whole range of different skills um which i think will stand them in good stead as they emerge into successful freelance international careers because the world has changed uh, mm -hmm. there's no doubt about that after the tragedy of 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 covid becomes a memory and it becomes something that we have thankfully survived mm -hmm. I, I think Lyric will emerge as a stronger fitter, better company uh, as a result of the extraordinary learning experiences that we have um, uh, gone through as a result of the chaos and, and tragedy of COVID Of course the first step in that bright future is performing in front of a live audience again with Macbeth the Lyric Opera of Chicago did not announce the performance would actually happen until the summer of 2021. But Antony says the decision to bring Macbeth to the stage in September of 2021 was actually in the works for a number of years. Macbeth and a new production of Macbeth was something that we have planned for four or five years. Um, it, the last time Lyric did Macbeth, I think, was in 2010. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great opera. Um, it's a piece that was due to be revived by us um, when it became clear that, that Enrique was going to be our new music director and was the conductor of our early Verdi series, which is a multi-year series. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just became clear to both of us, both Enrique and me, that, that actually a new production of Macbeth was a wonderful way of inaugurating his tenure as our new music director. I've worked at radio for a long time, and normally we're working on a show day to day. Opera is just a little different than that. In opera land, planning mm -hmm. cycles tend to be very long, and it's normal for a new production to have a four or five year planning cycle. Once the Lyric Opera settles in a production, the next step in the production process is deciding who will direct the project, a decision that's also made years before anybody actually sees it. The piece of repertoire was something that we very early realized was ideal for this moment. Um, as we were committed to doing a brand new production, um, we then set about thinking who would be the ideal director, what would be the ideal 
production team for, for Macbeth. And Sir David McVicar has a very um, long and very distinguished relationship with Lyric. He's clearly a major global figure in the opera world. Um, he, he directs regularly in the major houses all over the world. Um, and it, it just seemed to me that um, Macbeth would really be a perfect piece for him. He, he's someone who relishes the um, challenges of romantic opera and Verdi's Macbeth is very different from Shakespeare's Macbeth uh, and it, it's um, a piece that Verdi originally wrote uh, early in his career though he revised it later in his career and and so um, it, it's a piece that really needs uh, an understanding of the conventions of romantic opera Um David McVicar, I've seen many, many of his productions over many years, um, and I know that he's someone who embraces the the challenges of some of those conventions. He's also a Scot, mm-hmm. and a Scot, a Scot coming to that piece, um, I, I think, comes to it with a unique perspective, uh, and the. The design team um, is exactly the design team for the production of Dvorak's Rusalka that we did um, five or six years ago, which was a tremendous success, a really wonderful production. Um, And the set designer is another Scot, John McFarlane. Um, So it, it just seemed to me to be fascinating to have two proud Scots um, exploring um, this great Italian opera based on a great Shakespeare play, mm-hmm. in turn based very loosely on figures from Scottish history. I, I, I mean, the, the, the way in which the characters are treated by both Shakespeare and, and, and Verdi is anything but historic. Um, this is not a, a, a history opera. But on the other hand, what what David and his design team are, are planning in this production it is really to approach the characters, approach the world of the opera from a very specifically Scottish perspective, inspired by the poetry of Robert Burns. Um, and one of the fascinating aspects of of Verdi's opera is is how it treats the supernatural elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, David and, and his design team are um, creating an onstage world th- that is um, set around the time Verdi wrote the opera, so mid-19th century, um, and set very specifically in a um, ruined church I- in Scotland. All the action takes place within this ruined church. Um, And so they explore through the poetry and imagery of Robert Burns, the great, great Scottish poet, um, the world um, of Verdi's Macbeth, the world inspired by Shakespeare's Macbeth, um, but from a very specific Scottish perspective.
okay, so now you've got a director. That means everybody just puts their feet up for a couple of years, right? Well, actually, they'll need all four of those years to make this thing happen. I think the decision to um, do Macbeth as a, as a piece, as a new production, was probably four years ago. Um, I, I suppose my first conversation with, with David McVicker, in which I, I called him and said, would you have any interest in, in directing this here as a new production? Probably was two and a half, three years ago. Um, the announcement of Enrique as our new music director was certainly over two years ago, and he and I had been talking about a new production of Macbeth well before the announcement of, of his appointment. So this this is a a project that is years in the conceiving and, and planning. Um, generally speaking, we need to have the designs presented to us a good year before rehearsals begin. So even mm -hmm. that um, process, the the evolution of the designs um, is something that takes place uh, over a long period of time and when when it's presented to us that comes at the conclusion of months of detailed work between director set designer costume designer lighting designer um, which is why the uncertainty that that covid throws over all these plans is so mm potentially undermining um macbeth is a great opera it doesn't have stuff in it that you want to cut on right. the other hand if covid was going to force us to dramatically reduce the running time that has all sorts of implications musical theatrical design technical implications when you're working on a four-year schedule and everything is shut down for an entire year and a half that creates a lot of additional complications you're not used to dealing with i really sympathize with with, with david and the design team because we've had to have so many what if conversations mm -hmm. um what if we couldn't do an intermission well the way the design was conceived there's a huge scene change that takes place in the intermission and needs the intermission in order to happen. What if we had to cut an hour from the running time, a half an hour from the running time? And finally, a few weeks ago, I, I called David and I said, well, we have some really good news. Um, the mayor, as of June 11th, has restricted, uh, has lifted the restrictions. And so I think we're able to proceed as we originally planned with the piece uncut with the intermission as normal. Um, we've been working through the pandemic with with uh, a wonderful epidemiologist who's given us some extraordinarily detailed and expert advice about managing um, every aspect of, of what we do through the pandemic. And the um, availability and near universality of vaccination mm -hmm. has meant that she essentially reassured us that if there was a fully vaccinated company, then the way in which a director can direct singers and a chorus and a conductor can work with an orchestra is essentially back to normal. All anyone with the production could do was adapt to the ever-evolving situation brought about by the COVID pandemic. We went through all sorts of 
um, iterations will the chorus have to be masked in rehearsal? Will the chorus have to be masked in performance? Mm -hmm. are, are you as a director able to direct two singers facing each other? B because actually th the physical act of singing it is something right. that was particularly problematic from a um, uh, COVID infection point of view. Mm -hmm. But we've come through that, and and so the last conversation that that we had with our um, expert epidemiologist, and therefore the last conversation that I had with with David McVicker was, I think you're free now to direct the singers as you would normally, and no, if we have a vaccinated company, there's no need for the chorus to be masked either in rehearsal room or or in performance. Over the course of the production, the entire team step up to make sure they'd be ready to go, no matter what the world would actually allow them to do. I must say it's it's um, very challenging for all the artists involved, but th the artists that we have been working with have been completely understanding, and our priority was to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and e even something compromised was better than cancelling. Right. Um, but but happily, we're no longer talking about having to compromise it. So what we're aiming for on September 17th is to open our brand new production of, of Verdi's Macbeth with no compromises. The situation is actually still changing. When Anthony Freud and I sat down to talk about the production of Macbeth on June 29th, it looked like everything was headed back to normal. Vaccinated people were able to do just about anything they wanted. But by the time I recorded the final interviews for the podcast, all of us were required to wear masks again thanks to the Delta variant. COVID has taught us is to expect the unexpected. Right. Um, uh, who would have thought two years ago? that the world would shut down for 16 months because of a global pandemic. Yeah. But here we are. So, you know, we, we will never um, make the same assumptions again, and we will never take for granted the fact that we seem now to be able to return to the Opera House safely um, and um, at full strength. So now we have an opera, we have a director in place, it's time to figure out who's actually going to be taking the stage. That's where Andy Melanot, the Vice President of Artistic Planning, comes in. In the next episode of Bring Up the Lights, we'll meet Andy and find out what the casting process for a production like Macbeth is like. The choice of titles lays with Anthony Foyd, our general director, and in collaboration with our music director, they're sort of forming the foundation of the artistic vision for the company. And then once we think about titles, we start thinking about casting and often it's linked. If we were to do Macbeth, who would we want to have saying Macbeth? Or it may come from a conversation with a singer saying, I'm going to start singing a certain, I'm going to start singing Tosca in a few years. And we'd be like, well, that could be interesting and maybe we should do Tosca for this singer. Bringing Up the Lights is an original series from Sound Concept Media. It's written and narrated by Keith Conrad. You've heard selections from the Lyric Opera of Chicago's previous production of Macbeth from 2010 and original music from John Benedict. I also had help putting the podcast together from Mari Moroz with the Lyric Opera of Chicago and Elizabeth Newkirk with the Silverman Group. 